Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. Church, good morning. It's good to be with you. We're going to worship this morning. We're going to continue to worship. I'm Eric. I'm one of the pastors on staff and elder here, and it's my privilege to be here with you. We're in a brand new year, and we get to continue to do this together. This is a privilege. Do you realize this? Being able to gather together and sing together and be together and hear what God has for us. This is a privilege that we get to do. So it's a pleasure to be with you. And and as you notice, we're doing things a little bit different this morning. Um, We're working a little bit more slowly through our liturgy. And this is the point where we have a proclamation of the word. The proclamation of God's word in our liturgy is an intentional time for us to gather, which is a gift, and to look at the beauty of Jesus as revealed through Scripture. We're going to do this every week. We aren't going to exhaust this, the beauty of who Jesus is and the glory of God that we see in the gospel. We will not exhaust. We're going to do it through our whole liturgy. And here as we proclaim God's word, we get a chance to listen, to listen well to the word of God and to see how do we see the God's glory here? How do we see God's character here? And so that's what I want to do. It's going to be a little bit different. Normally we work through books of the Bible from the beginning to the end and we see what God has for us there. This morning, I just want to take the gospel itself and just tease out some very basic things that we see of the glory of God. We're going to go through four things. And then I want to tease out two things that we see about ourselves that the, that the gospel shows us. And so it's a little bit different. We're going to move pretty quickly, but I want to, um, I want to go through this process to show that, yeah, there are depths here just in the gospel itself that we are never going to continually exhaust, but we're going to see more and more and more of God's glory here. So that, that's my plan here. We're going to marvel at the beauty and glory of Jesus present in the gospel in God's word. My friends, this is how we're spiritually formed. This is how we grow as Christians. This isn't just something we do because we know we're supposed to. We see God's glory, our hearts respond by loving him more. This is what, this is how we grow. So I want to show as clearly as I can the glory of God in the gospel. That's our theme for this morning. After this, this is going to be a shorter, it's not really a sermon even. It's going to be a little bit shorter message. I'm going to have a time of an open mic where I would love to hear from you. How have you seen God's glory this past year revealed to you? Maybe it's been through an experiences you've had. Maybe it's been through study, reflection, conversation. Maybe it's been something here. But be thinking about that. Over this last year, in, year two, in 2021, how have you seen God's glory? Maybe pieces of his character. Maybe something about God's goodness that you've seen. So we'll have some time for that later. We'll get to that in a little bit. All right. To start our marveling at God's glory in the gospel Let's look at a really succinct explanation of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. So you have a Bible turn there. It's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible, there's a table in the back that has lots of Bibles. There's Bibles in the library. If you don't own a Bible, please take one of those. We would love to gift that to you. 
1 Corinthians 15, we're going to read the first five verses in total this morning, but I'm going to start with just the first two. First two verses of 1 Corinthians 15. And now remember, we're looking for God's glory here. Here's Paul's really brief summary of some of the basics of the gospel. Now I, Paul, would remind you, brothers, his brothers and sisters, these are Christians in the church in Corinth. They're having some major issues, so Paul writes this letter to them. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you have believed in vain. All right, so think about this with me just for a moment. Paul just wrote that the gospel, that's, that's the content of Paul's preaching to this church. It's the message, the content that he's now going to summarize in the next few verses. This gospel, if truly believed, what's the result? It's salvation. The gospel, if truly believed, is actually saving Paul's audience here. So do you know what this means? This means that the central assertion to the Christian faith, this is an assertion that's not shared by everybody across the world, but it's a truth claim that's foundational if we're ever to understand the depths of the God's glory revealed here in the gospel. And here it is. Here's the central foundational Christian assertion is this, that we're in need of saving and we are not our own saviors. We can't save ourselves. This is a biblical claim. It begins back all the way in Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible. It states that, that this original sin from Adam and Eve, this is chapter 3 already, this original sin from Adam and Eve has altered things for us. As humanity, we are now born into an altered state. This is, this is teased out, it's played out, it's proved out again and again and again and again throughout the entire arc of the biblical narrative. We need saving and we cannot save ourselves. This altered state into which we are born is an altered state of being forever severed from God. We're born into sin. We naturally choose ourselves and our own desires. We choose sin instead. And if we're honest, I think we see this in our own hearts, don't we? Don't we see this around us? Like, so why, why, why do I sometimes lash out at my family? It's not just because I'm tired. It's not just because I'm hungry. Although those are easy, some easy scapegoats. It's because there's something inside of me that's actually broken. There's something inside of me that's not right. And it's try, I'll tell you, I'll try hard to cover it up to make it look pretty to justify it, but it sneaks out sometimes in sometimes spectacular ways. My sin is innate. <laughs> it's inside of me from birth. And so is yours. The sin that leads to these big publicized moral failures of various leaders that we see every year is the same sin that lives inside of you and it lives inside of me. The reason why we can't save ourselves, why we can't on our own restore relationship with a perfectly holy God who hates sin. In fact, our inability to save ourselves due to sin actually points us to an aspect of God's glory. The fact that our sin is the problem teaches us the glorious truth that God is not like us. But he is holy. He's completely without sin. He isn't twisted by sin. Rather, he's holy. He's radically holy. In fact, 
Holiness, like God's other attributes, isn't an attribute that God adorns himself with, like, like how we put on clothes. Rather, God is holiness. Holiness isn't a concept outside of God that we now apply to God, like we put paint on a wall. Rather, God is the definition of holy. Do you see the difference? God in his essence is holy, and his very being is holy. God is fully and completely holy. God is gloriously holy. But humanity, you and me, we're sinful. Because God is holy, he cannot be in relationship with sin. That means for us, if left to ourselves, we can't be in relationship with God, but we're eternally destined for separation from God due to our sin. My friends, we need saving. And you read through the whole Old Testament, and this is just left hanging at the Old Testament. It's not resolved yet. This is a need that begs for something more than the sacrificial system of ancient Israel. It's a need that begs for more than us just trying to muster up the will to perfectly obey God's law on our own. It's a need that cannot be met by our money, by vaccines, or talent, or technological progress, or relationships, or all the good stuff that we do. It's a need that begs for the gospel. It begs for good news. Let's read Paul's summary of it. Next three verses, 1 Corinthians 15, we read verses 3 through 5, and look for how God's glory is demonstrated in this good news. Verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. God, in all his holiness, decided to send his son Jesus to take our punishment for our sin. God himself, Jesus, took the excruciating penalty for our sin. So we don't have to do this. This this was the innocent for the guilty. Now, what does that say about God's glory? There's depths here, isn't there? It screams, the second point, of God's love for us. God is not only holy, God is love. God is the very definition of love. Love has no grounding outside of God. And so we see this spectacular demonstration of God's love through Jesus' work to take our sin and to give us life instead. This is a love we'll never fully comprehend. We're never going to exhaust the depths of this. But it is another aspect of God's glory demonstrated in the gospel. The love that sent Jesus to the grave to take the death that we deserved. But our glorious God wasn't finished simply with Jesus going to the grave. He chose to exercise another aspect of glory inherent in the gospel. See, the God that we gather to worship this morning, this God who is our only hope, The God we seek to know better, to love better, to grow in relationship with, the God that we we sacrifice for and even suffer for, the gospel declares that this God is also gloriously powerful. How do we see that? How do we see God's glory in the gospel? By the fact that Jesus didn't stay dead. (laughs) God has the power over death. 
our God is gloriously powerful. Jesus rose from the dead, which vindicated his role as Messiah, as our Savior. It proved his divinity. It sealed his finished work on the cross. Jesus earned for us our salvation, and by trusting in him alone is our relationship reconciled with God. In fact, Paul in Romans 1, he puts it this way, that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes. There's one more quick point I want to point out on how we see God's glory here in the gospel, how, it, how the gospel proves God's trustworthiness, God's trustworthy. How does it prove his trustworthiness? Consider this. Even all the way back in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, God curses the serpent. And we have here in the very first hints of the gospel. Remember what it, what it, what's written there? It's written that a human offspring is going to bruise the serpent's head, and the serpent will bruise that offspring's heel. This is understood to ultimately refer to Jesus and what Jesus is going to do. That Jesus' mortal blow to Satan, the serpent, on the head happened on the cross. And Christ had died on the cross, a bruise to his heel, but he rose again. You see, the gospel we are celebrating here this morning and every week is not God's plan B, C, or D. He didn't try like a bunch of different things and finally settle upon the plan of Jesus. The gospel is an intentional, well-chosen, perfect way of salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel reveals that God, think about this, think about what this means. It reveals that God keeps his promises. He promised this way back thousands of years before in Genesis chapter 3, he kept his promise all the way through Jesus, and he's still keeping his promises. We see the accuracy of God's word. Or as Paul puts it twice in our passage today, did you catch this? In accordance with the scriptures. Why is it in accordance with the scriptures? Because God is trustworthy. You see, the gospel reveals to us who God is. His trustworthiness, his holiness, his love, his power. It reveals to us God himself. It reveals to us God's glory. The God we worship is no second-rate God. He's not a God among gods. Rather, the God of the Bible, the God we worship, is holy, is love, is powerful, is trustworthy. These attributes, complete and in their fullness, point us to God's glory. Our God's glory. There's so much more packed into the gospel. We've only briefly skimmed over the surface. We could plumb so many more pieces here. And all of these things show us more of who God is. So I think here's the question for us this morning. What does this mean actually for us then? Yep, that's who God is, but what are actually implications for us? Well, there's tons of implications. And all of them serve to point us to who God is so our hearts will respond by loving him more. All of it serves that point. You see who God is, grow in relationship with him who, as he actually is and for our love for him to grow. There's many, many implications from that. Here are just two as a way of showing some of this. Two implications for us of God's glory displayed in the gospel that should indeed serve to grow our affections for him. Both of these implications tease out from who God is to show us more of who God is, who we are. So, here's the first one. It battles a lie. Both these implications battle a lie. The first one battles the lie that you and me, Christian, Jesus follower, 
are just slime, that we're just worthless, that we're just good-for-nothings whose fundamental identity is the sin that we commit, that we're nothing more than blasphemers and liars and perjurers and adulterers and thieves and power abusers and egomaniacs. The problem with that lie, Christian, is that it doesn't take seriously the magnitude of God's glory, God's power and God's love revealed in how the gospel fundamentally changes us, Christian. The power and love of God in the gospel makes a new people, Christians, who are fundamentally different from who they were, were changed by God. I'm going to show you three really quick places in Scripture that show what we've been changed from, what we've been changed to if we trust Jesus. The first one is this. Our identity has fundamentally, think about this, our identity has fundamentally changed from slave to sin to child of God, from liar to son of God, from adulterer to daughter of God. The sin we commit no longer primarily identifies who we are. This is the power of God. Two, Ephesians 2, we were eternally damned and unable to save ourselves, but we are now eternally saved by Jesus. This is the power of God. Three, we were living in a state of rebellion against God's good rule. Think about this. We are now ambassadors of God. You know what an ambassador does? An ambassador represents the king, whoever they're sent on behalf of. We are representatives of God in this world. It's a beautiful thing. And all of this is by the sheer power of God directed by his love for us. Friends, if you trust Jesus to save you, you have a new identity. You're no longer just a sinner. You're no longer identified just by your sin. But now you're a saint. A saint who still sins, yes, you're still indwelling sin. But now you are a saint. You've been changed. This is the first implication I wanted to share about who we now are due to the power and love of God. There's also a second complementary implication. But rather than this one doesn't focus on change, this one focuses on what stays the same before and after we know Jesus. It battles the lie that we're somehow special in and of ourselves. That humanity is essentially good at our core and that if we just believe enough in the goodness of humanity, the world will become a better place. That's the lie. The problem with this lie is it doesn't take seriously the gospel teaching that God alone is the only source, the only definition, the only being who's truly holy and loving and powerful and trustworthy, that God is the only God. And so, what does this mean for us? Well, it makes us dependent creatures. We are radically dependent creatures. We always have been. We always will be utterly dependent on God to be God in all of his glory. And so that means that when we talk about who God is in his glory, we are saying this is who we depend upon. So all the greater God is, all the greater the person is that we depend upon. It's a beautiful thing, Christian. This is true, our dependence before our salvation. It's true while we're being saved. It's true when our salvation will be consummated one day when Jesus comes back again. We are radically dependent. We're radically dependent on God not only for our fundamental change the gospel brings in our life, but also to live out that change through the power of the Holy Spirit, living as a saint rather than as a liar or an egomaniac. Without 
God's gracious, empowering presence within us, we can do nothing other than sin. We are radically dependent. We're not good in and of ourselves. Our only goodness we get from God himself. So these two implications, that we're changed by God and that we're utterly dependent upon God, are two implications for us, I think, as we see God's glory revealed in the gospel. These are things that we can tease out. We can tease out so much, much more. Keep your eyes open this year, through 2022, how God continues to reveal himself to us. Let me pray. Let me pray and thank God for who he is. God, you, you are so good to us because you have allowed us to be in relationship with you. In fact, you paid the price for that to happen. You, you're so good to us that you reveal yourself to us. Pieces of your character, pieces of your greatness. You show us more of your glory. You give us good gifts like gathering together on Sunday morning together. Good gifts like being in community with other believers. That's a gift from you. Gifts of your word and you, you even made it possible for us to speak directly to you through prayer. We don't have to go through somebody else. Jesus made that possible. These are good things you've given to us. We thank you, God. I pray you sensitize our hearts, our spirits this next year to things you want to show us about yourself. In our reading, in our, in our community, in our prayer life, in our times gathered here, in our small groups, would you be showing more and more of yourself to us? Would we be receptive And our love for you grows as a result. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.